Let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll dive right in. Lord, we come to you humbly this evening and we just ask that um, well, before we ask anything, we humble ourselves before you because you are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You are perfectly righteous. I pray, Lord, that as we dive into the study tonight, that you would give us a clear picture of who you are. Lord, all of our obedience depends on our view of you. And if we have a skewed perspective on who our God is, it will certainly negatively affect the way we live. We may do obedient things in the wrong way. We may do things that would otherwise be faithful, but faithful, but with the wrong spirit, they're not faithful because we misunderstand our God. And as we look at Exodus 32 tonight, my prayer is that you would round out the view as is necessary for your children. My prayer is that um, through our time in the Word, that none of us would be lacking in, in our understanding and in our view of who you are and what you want us to know about you. So Lord, I pray that you would guide our time accordingly. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is week two in Exodus 32. And before we dig in, I just kind of want to be honest that as I dug into this chapter, it was kind of just kept running into the onion effect where you you peel back some and you see something new and you peel back more and you peel back more and you peel back more and before I know it, I've got a 10-part study on Exodus 32 that um, I'm not sure how it's going to work with our schedule that I've already made out for the next two years. So um, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to, I want to submit to the Word. As we go through this tonight, I want to ask some questions and just consider how the Lord wants to guide us. And any given chapter of the Bible, you can teach it or preach it a number of different ways. And as I began to see the many, many different details in Exodus 32, I just thought, you know, let's, let's just do our best to keep in step with the Spirit and see where the people who are here are and potentially what could come up and questions that need to be fielded and, and um, things that need to be considered uh, in faith. So... Um, We'll, we'll do some recap questions and then we'll dive into this chapter that has at least three very different sections that are just, as you're looking at them, it's really overwhelming how different they are. So um, that said, pay careful attention to the text as we go through tonight and try to import your senses, as I like to say all the time, good old Howard Hendricks, import your senses. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it sound like? Because we're at Mount Sinai, and uh, there's a lot of sights and sounds and smells uh, for us to take in as we consider our Lord. So, while Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, what were the people doing and why? Moses on top of Mount Sinai here for the Lord, and what is Israel doing? Making a golden calf. What were they asking Aaron to do? How, how did they go to Aaron? What, what was their approach? Yeah, up. Yeah, real, real kind. If you've ever had anyone ask you to get up in that manner, you know it's lovely. What? Yeah, it says, uh, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, then they asked. So there's an inefficiency in ministry that causes some people to lose their patience. And so one of the products of impatience is the golden calf, or one of the reasons for the golden calf was impatience. However you look at it, he delayed, and they did not like that. Okay, so uh, they're asking for a god, an idol to be made, and the reason for that is that Moses delayed in coming down. So who did they go to? Who did they ask for that? Aaron, that's right. And Aaron is the appointed leader who um, was particularly known for his eloquent speech and his ability with words. And what did, what did Aaron say? Yeah, give me your gold. 
Okay, um, not the best leadership model there. The example that he set for us was that of a pansy who did not step up and do what he should have done rightly um, as the one who was appointed and in leadership and given the gift of talking good. So, uh, what's idolatry? What? Yeah, worship of anything other than our creator God. How else would you explain idolatry? Anything you want badly enough to sin to get it. I like that. Little pets old have have an answer there? No? What's an idol, Brooks? Something you worship more than God. That's right. So it takes your time, it takes your energy, it takes your focus. Anything that I want more than God is an idol. And sometimes we distance ourselves from idolatry because we're like, well, we don't worship golden calves. Um, that's so primitive. We're much more complex than that. But what are our forms of idolatry today? What are some things we can fall right into? Self, money, job. What else? Knowledge, notoriety, reputation. What else? Security. Efficiency. What? All of the above. Like, I'm not sure what you mean. I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> That's something I'm not familiar with. Um, all of the above. Yeah, the, idolatry can come in any form. Last week we talked about really any desire that we have. It can even be a good desire. But when we make demands, and then we make judgments, and then we punish, we know that every idol requires a sacrifice. And so what we saw last week was that it doesn't just have to be evil, wicked things. It could be a good desire that has, has turned into a demand for you that you are requiring above God. And so um, idolatry is pretty complex, and I would say um, common, though not in a flippant manner. It's common in that it can creep in uh, at any moment. So what or who has Israel actually lost sight of? They, they said they lost sight of, of Moses, but what have they actually lost sight of? God, Yahweh, exactly. Is Israel in a covenant with God? Yes. What does that mean? Say that again. Sort of a deal, yeah. He came down in, in, in Exodus 24, and these are my commandments, and then let's just turn back there real quickly before we dive into our text so that we have the context that we need. Uh, look at 24.3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So these aren't a bunch of people who had no clue what God wanted. They're not a bunch of people who, were just, who had just been left in the dark and it was unfortunate and they made a bad choice. These are people who have entered into a covenant. All the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They've entered into a covenant with their God. And so their actions with the golden calf and, and being impatient um, are breaking that covenant. They're infringing upon what has been otherwise good and pure and right, and they're not acting in a manner worthy of the call that's been placed on their life as those slaves who have been rescued out of Egypt so that they may worship God wholeheartedly and rightly. Okay? We all on the same page? I feel like I didn't take a breath for a while there. They're in covenant. To be clear, this situation is what it is because Aaron and the rest of Israel have allowed the fear of other things to drown out a proper fear of the Lord, and they have broken covenant with God. So that's what happened. They let a fear of other things drown out a proper fear of the Lord, and they broke covenant with God. And this week we're going to look at the consequences, consequences of such wrong fear and idolatry. What we're going to talk about tonight is the wrath of God. Now, this is something that God has, by his sovereign plan, the way, the way he moves in infinite wisdom, when his people lost a proper fear of him, they lost sight of him, what, what came to sight for them was his wrath. 
Now, growing up, I, I heard nothing about the wrath of God. I, I, I mean, I went to a good church. I had a good church home. My parents both loved Jesus, grew up in a pretty charmed household, three brothers, lots of fun. Um, <clears throat> but I cannot recall any time where I heard much, if any, about the wrath of God, that God would, would be angry with us. The main focus was that God is love. God is love. God is love. God is love. And, and you know, the John 3, 16, and the, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world. And it, was, and it was more of a vastness than a specificity, which is what that, that verse actually is. He loved the world in this way, specifically, just such, just so. And so, for me, studying the wrath of God was something that I didn't really study much until I was teaching our students in 2004, and we got to Romans 1. And so, um, most of my life, I was, I was not very privy to what God's wrath was, or what does that mean? Is it just that he gets angry sometimes? Is he an emotional God? Is he, what, does he change his mind? Is, he, is, he, is it an ebb and flow, and I just hope to get the good God that is loving at the right time when I need it? What do I hope for? And so when I began to look at the wrath of God, I found that I had a lot of confusion. I just didn't understand what it was. And so if you've never looked at the wrath of God or what it means that God's holy anger is burning hotly, I, have already, I want you all to know I've prayed for you all that, that there would not be confusion in this. I'm, I'm hoping that the Lord gives us understanding in regards to wrath. So I'm going to read verse 7 through verse 35 so that we can this is a narrative and because of the narrative aspect of the text i want to read through the remainder of the chapter and then we'll go back and look at some specifics and i don't know how far we'll get into the specifics tonight i just don't so we'll have to see verse 7 and the lord said to moses go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of egypt have corrupted themselves they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. Remember, that the way he commanded them is what we saw in 24, verse 3. All of his rules, all, of, all that he said. They have turned quickly, they've turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. you should be thinking what Moses must be feeling as he hears those words from God. He has shared sweet fellowship with the Lord. He's gotten word from the Lord what's going on at the base of Mount Sinai and his people. And now God's saying, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hotly against them. And that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Look at verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains or to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written, remember, by the finger of God. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Moses said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He did not drop them. He threw them 
He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and ground it to the powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into a fire and out came this calf. Craziest thing. Pop, look, a calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. The sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each one of you at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go. Lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. That is a doozy of a chapter. My goodness. Whew. Very complex. I'm not sure how far we're going to get into it, but we can start with those first two verses in 9 through 10. The Lord said, I have seen this people, and behold, it is stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. What are your observations of this verse? Anytime you study the word, you make a lot of observations. What observations do you have of this verse? It is very, very significant. Yes, people are stiff-necked and stubborn. God has observed that, yeah. For those of us that think that the Lord doesn't see what we do in secret, or the Lord doesn't know what we say in a private conversation, remember this. It's the Lord that saw that they were a stiff-necked people. It's the Lord that saw the object of their idolatry. What are some other observations? Lord speaking to Moses. Yeah. Yeah. That's staggering. The Lord saying, Leave me alone that my wrath may burn. I've seen what's going on. Leave me alone. What else should we observe in that verse? Yeah. 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 Yeah, the, I'm preaching on holiness this Sunday, and I might actually just use Exodus 32 as the main text. I'm not sure yet. But one of the things... No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh 
Yeah. 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 The essentially our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of right living, our pursuit of doing what God has ordained of us and told us to and commanded us has everything to do with our understanding of his holiness. I can't pursue holiness if I don't understand God's holiness. I can't look at the aspects of my life and try to discern what's right and wrong and what can I move in? How can I be more faithful in these things? Where am I being impatient? Where am I being prideful? How can I put to death, you know, the deeds of the flesh that, that, um, that I can just let slip by if, I don't, if I'm not watching closely? And the reality is we won't watch closely and we will have no success in personal holiness if the holiness of God is not something that, that we understand and that we see. And so here you see his holiness as something that is consuming. It's a consuming holiness where, where he, um, he, is, he is saying, in my wrath, I, I will consume the wickedness because I'm holy and that cannot dwell in my presence. Sin separates us from God. That's a biblical sort of foundational truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Maybe reverence. Yeah. 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 What are Moses' options at this point? Yeah, it's, it's, Moses has got a decision to make here, does he not? I mean, speak on behalf of the people or get out the way. That this is really significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Don't you dare spoil my study for me. I mean, you're stealing thunder. You're stealing thunder. No, you're exactly right. I mean, there's a Christ-likeness that we get to observe here that is awesome. Um, Here we're seeing the wrath of God. What are some misconceptions that people have about God's wrath? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, so the misconception would be that we think that wrath is the opposite of love. Is the wrath the opposite of love? No, absolutely not. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for the moment, all discipline is painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. That's a love that's being expressed in a discipline. And so we see that yeah, wrath is not the opposite of, of love. They're, they're not opposites. It's not some capricious God that is, you know, I'm angry today, but I'm appeased on this day, and I'll be loving. That's, that's not how it works. That would be a misconception. What are some other misconceptions that people have about God's wrath? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what would happen? That's a gr- the way you just put that was awesome. The, if, you, if you don't see his holiness, his wrath will seem unjust to you. What if I was to go on every news station tomorrow and talk about the sin of, of our nation and say that God's wrath is towards unrighteousness because of that sin? What would the general response 
be to something like that? Vilified. For what? For being what? Intolerant, unloving, judgmental, crazy. Say that again. Exactly, yeah. There, there's, there, if you do not see that holiness, wrath means nothing. Wrath just seems odd and awkward and weird. I mean, this doesn't he just want me to be happy kind of thing can lose sight of the wrath of God. And so if, if, if and the holiness of God, sorry. And so that's why when those kinds of things come up, like on the news, in the media, whatever, someone says something about God, um, people cringe because holiness is not something that they are beholding regularly. Um, if I am not beholding the holiness of my Lord and someone reminds me of his wrath, it will hit me sideways and I'll be like, well, what about, and I'll have a lot of examples about things that would be more comfortable for me. Biblically, what would y'all say is God's wrath? Surgical? Not out of control. That's a big one. That reality of him restraining his anger often is a, is a pretty significant thing for us to, to not lose sight of. We should talk more during the week as I work on these studies. We should. That would be helpful. If you're a visitor, that's my wife. I'm not just hitting on some random woman. So, yeah. Odd. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've always had a fear of my children, you know, which dad are they going to get today? Are they going to get the one who's in a good mood because he got a good night's sleep or are they going to get the guy who's angry about everything? And, uh, and, and I don't want that for my children. And that's a, that's a great point that he's consistent in it. He's, he's not inconsistent and in flying off the handle. And that reality of him, him restraining his anger every day. I mean, we all fall, we have all, all are all sinners, all fall short of the glory of God and are in need of redemption every day, every single day. And so the Lord provides for us in that. Um, Romans one eighteen. go ahead and turn to Romans one eighteen. I just want y'all to see this. If, if you haven't underlined it in your Bible, underline it and consider it. Anytime I talk about wrath, this is just so helpful for me. You guys have heard me say it a lot, but I want you to see it in your own Bibles and I want you to connect with it. And as I read this, think about the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. Think about what they have seen. Think about what they know about God. That they're not just a nation that's in the dark and hasn't ever heard much of, of the gospel and the redemption that exists only in God as they have been drawn out and they're no longer slaves. I want to I read this and I want you to think about Israel. 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, like when the water parted, and none of the Egyptians made it through, and when you had a pillar and a cloud following you and guarding your rear, when you saw the, the plagues, when your firstborn weren't killed by the winged destroyer, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in, your th- in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and even golden calves, you may add. I mean, that's what happened to Israel. That's why God's wrath has been kindled. Israel is, look, they claimed to be wise. They became fools. Up, make for us gods. You just see someone who's claiming to be wise and it's time to make a good decision and move forward, but they're fools. They've lost sight of God and his wrath is towards that unrighteousness because unrighteousness suppresses the truth. The truth about God cannot be seen in the way that they are living. It is misrepresenting the one who has drawn them out of the slavery that they had only known before he heard their cry. How have the actions of Israel suppressed the truth of God? Specifically. Yeah. 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 Moses threw the commandments. There's a literal nature of that. Here's the truth. It is smashed on the ground because you guys are headlong into idolatry. Yeah. Do y'all know how, remember how many men fell that day? 3,000. How many men were in Israel? 600 and something thousand. So there's probably over, you know, a million, maybe a couple million people, over 600,000 men, 3,000 men fell. It's not likely that all million people were worshiping this one golden calf. It's likely that there arose some who had influence and moved in this manner. And those were the ones that were... Um, by the Levites who, who were slain by their sword. I think it was probably a pretty specific and calculated thing. I don't think they just went through swinging swords, but they saw who was um, living in filth and who was um, being wicked. And so in that sense, what I want us to see is that God's wrath is towards unrighteousness because unrighteousness suppresses the truth. So rather than allowing unrighteousness to suppress the truth, you see something happening here where God's wrath is suppressing unrighteousness. Y'all see that? Rather than unrighteousness suppressing truth, you see God's wrath suppressing the unrighteousness. You see it burning hot against those who have set themselves against him, who have broken the covenant, who are no longer living according to what he has said. So they are suppressing the truth. For those who were worshiping, and remember, they were doing it under the banner of the, the worship of the Lord. It just totally misrepresents what he has called them to. And so they are certainly suppressing the truth. Why was Israel drawn out of Egypt in the first place? Because God chose them, and for what purpose? What'd you say? His own glory? Say that again. To make them into a holy nation, his treasured possession. So why would he want them to be holy? Yeah, because they represent God, who is what? Holy. So 
From the get-go, they're drawn out of Egypt for the purpose of obedience and holiness. Holiness is not an afterthought. It's not, it's not you're saved. Okay, now you're not slaves anymore. Take a break. Okay, now go be holy. That's the very reason that they were drawn out. A holy nation to be known as his, reflecting him and his character. Holy. One commentator, Motyer, says, The Sinai experience brought the Lord's holiness home to the people so that momentarily they experienced the fear of sinners before the Holy One. This is one of the first times that we see this in in Scripture as we're going through from beginning to end. We see that Israel has pursued idolatry, abandoned the covenant, and we're seeing for the first time since they've been freed what God's response is to this. It's being brought home to them how he is holy and they're experiencing the fear of sinners before the holy God. The fear of sinners before the holy God. Hebrews 12 actually, here turn over to Hebrews 12. Verses 18 through 29. It's talking about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what the little subtitle says. And what is happening in Exodus is giving us an idea of what's happening as the kingdom of God is coming forward now as we are ambassadors of Christ and his kingdom. Patrick, do you remember it? Remember when we memorized it? You've memorized these verses, bro. I've heard you say them. I think I gave you a piece of candy or something. Um, Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What happened with the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai was to warn us and to encourage us that we would offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So Matyar says the Sinai experience brought the Lord's holiness home to the people so that momentarily they experienced the fear of sinners before the Holy One. Likewise, while they had truly committed themselves to obey the Lord's law back in Exodus 24, it was not until the incident of the golden calf that they faced the full seriousness of the call to obedience. The Lord's stark refusal to compromise regarding his law and the dire consequences of breaking it. So my question is, in present-day language, how would you describe the seriousness of our call to obedience? They were experiencing it for the first time in a significant manner here at the base of Mount Sinai, the seriousness of their call to obedience. How would you describe the seriousness of our call in 2012 to obedience? serious. Thank you. Maybe we shouldn't talk about these things. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so if it's the same, what's that look like? What's that look like for God's people? Yeah. Yeah. Life-changing. It affects everything that we do. That's where Romans 12 says, I appeal to you to present your entire lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It affects everything. You should pay attention to every detail. As we went through uh, John, we, we ran into the, the arm-hacking, eye-gouging pursuit of holiness. Y'all remember that? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. That's the seriousness with, with which we are to pursue holiness and obedience to our Lord. And I don't know if we get it. I don't, I don't know if the church is marked by that white-hot pursuit of holiness, eye-gouging, arm-hacking pursuit of holiness, a view that says God is so good and so pure and so holy that it will affect every single decision that I make because I am called to present my entire being to him as an act of worship, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of my mind, specifically a mind that thinks of the holiness of God so that we can test what is good and acceptable and perfect and pleasing to him. This is... This is a high call. God does not place some minimal, lame call on our lives. It's all about his holiness. There's no room for Santa Claus in there. That's a good point, I think. I want to ask you to expound on it, but I'm scared to. Sweep, yes, yes. There's no Santa Claus Jesus that sweeps it under the rug and just brings us good gifts at night for good boys and girls. I'm feeling Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for your honesty in that. That's sweet. There's reconciliation in that, you know, as y'all are seeing how to pursue that holiness. Yeah. Yeah. That is a sweet testimony. Sweet. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. For y'all who don't know what awesome is, that's awesome. Yeah, that picture of them drinking that in and it going through to be light about it. Um, digested is the word we'll use. Um, it's a picture of his wrath suppressing the unrighteousness. It's taking that idol and it's turning it into what it deserves um, to be digested. Um, in what ways might it look like we expect God to compromise with us. None of us would say, oh yeah, I expect God to, uh, to compromise because I've got some pretty, pretty significant goals in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you see a humility that Moses took for his people, so... We could look at that text and say, well, there's a compromise there. Maybe we just need a guy like Moses to talk to God for us so that, so that it'll help us out so I can get what I want. They, didn't, they did not get what they wanted. We read the whole chapter on purpose. Um, 
how else could we act today as if we expect God to compromise with us in regards to holiness? Yeah? Yeah, not surrendering and compartmentalizing. Those are, those are significant. What does it mean to compartmentalize? How's that actually play out? And how could it look like we are compromising? Sure. That's a, that's a great way to explain it. Okay, God, I'm giving you this, so surely you'll allow me to keep this lesser thing over here. I'm going to give you the whole day on Sunday. So surely what I do on Saturday does not matter as much because don't forget, God, I'm giving you the whole day on Sunday. So compromise in that manner. What are some other ways we can expect or act like we expect God to compromise with us? Say that again. Yeah. The price has been paid for us. So how does that play out? What do you mean by that? Yeah. 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 We'll rationalize that it is okay that we not obey because we know the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I have watched people say, once saved, always saved, and then sin. I've seen it. Yes. Making deals. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and what you're expecting is that he will compromise for you in that moment, and then you'll make a good deal so that it'll come back around later and God will be okay with it. There have been plenty of times where I'm laying in bed and one of the children will not stop screaming. And I begin to think, okay, Lord, what could I do to please you that in your infinite power and might, you will shut the mouth of my beloved child so that I might sleep. I mean, it doesn't have to be a life or death situation. We can get into that realm of thinking all the time. Lord, I really want this job. And I'll up it to 12% if you give me the job. I mean, it's pretty easy to slip into thinking like that. What are some, uh, any other ways that we seem like we could expect God to compromise with us? Yeah. Yeah. Not dealing biblically with your sin. Not being truly repentant. That's something that's pretty easy to slip into. Like, someone says, hey, you're like this, you're doing this, and it's sinful. And I say, like, everyone I know has that problem. It's the day and time we live in. That's what, I mean, I'm an American. Like, we, we can say things that are just, is that repentant or, or you call me out on my sin? No, I, I call you out on your sin. That's like compromising. It's like, a, if, if anyone says to you, hey, I see this, you should say, man, I need to sit with that. I need to pray. There may be something I need to repent of. But we could act like God would compromise on holiness because we see another piece to the puzzle or because we see a reason to maybe be benefited now by our sin, but we'll make it right later. So, um, pretty much tonight, I mean, like I said, I didn't know how far we'd get. At this point, my hope is that we would tremble with Moses and see the call that God's placed on our lives to be holy. Um, and it just so happens that this is where we land in Exodus 32, and we're going to be talking about holiness on Sunday and what it means to live, live holy lives. And so, um, I don't really have a real good conclusion tonight. I'm, I hope that's okay. 
It's got to be okay at this point. Um, but tremble. Spend time in your prayer this week looking at what it would have been like to hear, really hearing Moses say those words. The first time I read that, I just thought, man, he has never heard anything like that. But tremble with Moses who heard the Lord say, Now let, therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. you hear what that must have felt like. And know that I really wanted to be able to talk about wrath and a mediator all at once because there's a balance in having the mediator that comforts me when I talk about God's wrath. And I think that um, it's, it can be dangerous to talk only about our sin without talking about the remedy for that. And so I want y'all to know that Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our mediator. So you don't have to leave here um, fearing the wrath of God wrongly. I do want you to fear it rightly with a reverent awe type of fear. But as we leave here, I want y'all to be trusting Christ completely. As, um, In fact, I'll close with a reading from yeah, Hebrews 11. Turn over to Hebrews 11 and we'll read that and that'll be what we close with. And we'll talk more about this next week or week after. This, this connects Moses with, with Christ. In Hebrews 11, oh, I don't know, look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward and then in Romans 8, you don't have to turn there, but I do want to read it to you in connection with that so you can connect the dot. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then it goes on to talk about how nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So as we see the wrath of God, I want y'all to also take into account Christ, our mediator, the one who intercedes for us. Not just interceded once, but is currently seated at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So tremble with Moses, yet make sure you are also rightly comforted in Christ. And I think there's a balance there that will give us a proper fear and awe that as it said earlier, um, that we would worship the Lord uh, rightly with reverence and awe according to his standards. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for our time in the word tonight. I pray that as we uh, go about our ways that we would consider how holy you are I pray that everyone here would be able to find time daily to consider the holiness of our Lord and that it would affect the lives of holiness that we know you have called us to, that we would be steadfast, obedient, um, eager to be holy as you are holy, as your word calls us to. Uh, we love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.